Scott, how you feel about this? How you feel about this topic? <laughs> oh, uh, boy, I don't, I don't like this topic for several reasons. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Well, there's two, there's two main reasons that this topic scares me. Should we should we introduce our guest before? No, let's do that. Before we go too far down the rabbit hole here. Let's do that thing that every podcast does, where the guest has to sit there quietly and pretend that they're in another room and they haven't been introduced yet. <laughs> I refuse. I refuse. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna heckle from back here. Well, we said because we said last week we'd get back to this uh, CB Sabolski thing. Don't you mean Chibi Sabolski? I wish I could take credit for that. Uh, I mean, I said it, but then she was like, I'm going to tweet it. And I'm like, there's no way somebody didn't get there before me. There's just no way. Someone did get that. A lot of people got there. Oh, yeah. It's too easy. It's too too on the nose. But uh, we said we'd come back to it. And I feel like the je ne sais quoi around it has kind of died down like I almost feel like everybody's sort of forgotten about it already we got an Asian guy to talk about I didn't forget right trust me I didn't forget we called our Asian friend (laughs) (laughs) here's the thing I think that's very important no I do I find it very first of all uh, uh, 10 minutes of jazz welcome to surviving creativity I'm Scott Kurtz. I'm Corey Cassoni. And I'm Brad Geiger. And welcome to our guest uh, sitting over there, Mr. Charlie Chu. Hi, I'm the Asian friend. <laughs> yeah, you Charlie, you, you are a former editor at Oni Press. You're still at Oni, though, but you've got a new title. You're VP Creative, right? VP Creative yeah, Development. Uh, I was senior editor at Oni for the last seven years, and now I am the VP of Creative and Business Development. That sounds fancy, but it's very boring. so part. So part of your job, arguably, is similar to what uh, this guy CB was doing before he became EIC of Marvel. And that's kind of scouting new talent or sort of new business opportunities. Yeah, I, uh, I'm basically the guy at Oni who is now searching for opportunities to make money for our creator owned titles and for our creators, you know, so based off the books that we publish at Oni, trying to make money on things that are not directly print publishing. So business development is a large part of it. Cool. And we brought you here today, both as our token Asian friend <laughs> and, and because in the words of Scott Kurtz, this makes me nervous. This topic makes me nervous. And I don't like it. I don't like it. It makes me nervous and mad. It should. I mean, it's it's because it's makes you nervous and and mad. Yeah. Okay. So I want to preface this conversation. We're going to talk about CB and cultural appropriation and all that stuff. I want to preface it with two things. First of all, um, we're three white cis dudes who are privileged and uh, we're talking out of our ass. And then the second thing I want to say is I'm so sick of having to say that I am a white cis dude (laughs) that's privileged and talking out of my ass. Because I don't feel like I need to open every conversation by just prostating myself i can be a good person and recognize all that stuff without having to walk in the room and go this white dude privileged well and and the more that you do it the more it becomes cursory and and obligatory right it take it it, when you repeat something it takes the meaning away yeah i don't know it feels uh i'm worried it's going to sound like we're posturing um i'm sick of doing it just because isn't it obvious (laughs) I can't be any whiter or sister. <laughs> I certainly can't be more privileged in, in any way. I, I would like to say that Charlie and I have had, but Charlie's a good friend of mine and we've had many discussions racially related and otherwise. 
So yeah, Charlie's over there going, keep saying it, Kurt. Yeah. <laughs> fucking keep saying it. Well, no, I, I, I'm, pre- I, I'm prefacing this because Chu is someone who will not let me off the hook. And I, that's why uh, he's my friend. We, we've had like a we've had like a long running dialogue about all this stuff. Yeah, sure. Know, both as like coworkers when we were at Oni, and as far and just as friends in general. And and I hope and correct me if I'm wrong, Chu, but I hope it's not in the, you know, choose choose my foreign friend Sherpa who will who will, who will save the poor white boy and guide me through these. But more in the oh, he's your magical Asian, right? <laughs> more, I hope, and you know, this is my perspective. Is Charlie's the one who, who will tell me otherwise? But I think it's in the uh, we have a dialogue going because I know for a fact I've more than once probably said something horribly offensive directly to Charlie's face <laughs> on more than one occasion. And and I've also said many horrible things about white people <laughs> many, many times as well. <laughs> No, I, I think I think it's interesting being in 2017 and like for me personally, as someone who's like a minority who lives in Portland, Oregon, you know, I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of these issues that that are sort of coming to the surface. Uh, what's fascinating to me is that, like, I think, uh, you know, white guys are starting to realize this is a white guy issue to solve. You know, like like I yeah. as, an, as an Asian American, I can't Sherpa anyone through race relations as someone who sort of is on the receiving end of it for the most part. And I think like, you know, the discomfort that everyone is sort of feeling when you're again, a privileged white guy, I think it's good to sort of marinate in that. And I think what's interesting and fruitful is that it's something that you guys are now having to, you know, sort of experience and sort of deal with head on, you know, whether it's sort of like, why am I talking about these sort of like labels and having to preface these conversations? Like, well, Maybe that's not the right way forward and maybe that's not the elegant solution, but it is that thing where we're sort of having to pay for bad behavior in the past as a culture. Yeah. You know, and, and for me, it's like, I, th- I think the conversation is what's most important. I think culturally we're starting to come to grips with a lot of stuff and it's not a bad thing. Well, I think, I think that's why this CB thing hit so hard. But then I also think it's why it went away so fast. And, and again, this is like from my perspective and there's a ton of shit in the news cycle right now. So, and there, and there will be for the next three years minimum, but I feel like what's if, if CB was found out in 2004 or five, and let's be honest, there's no fucking way that the people at Marvel didn't know that Akira Yoshida was CB Sobolski. Just in case people didn't listen to the last episode, restate what happened. You know what, Chu? Why don't you fill us in on this? Yes, what happened? You you give us the summation. (laughs) Oh, God. So I guess uh, Marvel's uh, new editor-in-chief, who uh, for I think the last few years was a VP of brand management and talent scouting. He was like you, only in Shanghai. Yeah, his whole job was to find... Creative uh, creatives and business opportunities in Southeast Asia, essentially. So he had been part of Marvel's editorial team, I believe, in the early to mid thousands, I think under Bill Jemis and Joe Quesada back in the day. Anyway, so uh, Sapolsky recently ascended to the position of editor in chief at Marvel, replacing Axel Alonso. And it got out. Uh, because someone had tweeted about how uh, apparently Sapolsky had been writing under uh, a fake name back in the mid 2000s, like I think around 2004 under the name Akira Yoshida. So essentially he was writing under a pen name, but more to the point, he was writing under a Japanese pen name um, and was working under the auspices of being like this supposedly Japanese born writer who grew up loving American superhero comics and was writing from the perspective of being, you know, Marvel superhero friendly while doing it from a manga perspective. And this was kind of like, in context of the period when manga was probably at its peak, maybe kind of. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Early two thousands. That was, that was when it was starting to, the decline had begun. Bookstores were closing, but it was still the, the one moneymaker for comics and bookstores. Yeah. Or like manga style was perceived as being cool. Right. Yeah. 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 And so like the layer to this is, is that, um, you know, the, the fake alias thing is not that big of a deal, but doing it under a Japanese fake name 
which is kind of a little bit yellow facey on a creative level. And on top of that, being someone who worked at Marvel editorial, there's a certain level of not only, you know, doing this under a fake race, but also somewhat double dealing, you know, in a very conflict of interest kind of way. Yeah. Right. So the, the, having the pseudonym and being an editor at Marvel was already breaking some internal bylines and was already problematic in and of itself. And then the second layer is essentially taking from someone this opportunity where they could have gone and found, especially CB, they could have gone and found a creator who was in uh, the position to write those comics Mm -hmm. that he did. And he wrote about 60 comics, I think, and then just kind of vanished, like just disappeared. So I'm, I'm super pissed about this. The more the story develops more than I thought I would be. (laughs) I fucking am angry about its larger implications because it's not just a matter of some dude skirting a Marvel policy by taking on a pseudonym and writing as someone else. It's creating a false Japanese identity out of whole cloth. Yeah. And because CB, because CB lived in Japan and is a big Japanophile and feels like he's been immersed in the culture long enough to do it. Well, and this, this is something I wanted to bring up actually, because um, I feel like we need to talk about intersectionality a little bit as well, where things can be more, more than one thing at once because CB did live uh, and this, and I talked about it a little bit on the last episode. I wasn't sure how much of uh, Yoshida's backstory and CB's backstory were similar, except for minor tweaks. And I think they're pretty close. And I'm again not making any excuses. This was not a good move on anybody's part. Uh, but I believe that CB um, speaks Japanese, lived there for a very long time. Uh, I think he is married to a Japanese native. I think he spent most of his career in Southeast Asia, uh, China, Japan. And what's frustrating about this, again, it doesn't excuse anything he's done, but I feel like if he had come at it as a writer who has a cultural understanding and was just a white guy who had uh, you know, some sort of respect or understanding for this culture, it wouldn't have been a big deal. But using a pseudonym that is a very clearly Japanese name is is the issue well i'd also like think- to, i'd also like to point out that like being able to compare their origin stories is because there was literally an interview with quote-unquote akira yoshida in cbr that talks about his background right which we now know is wholly a work of fiction mm-hmm. right yeah yeah well that's the part <laughs> i don't know what what's your take on that chew with the the idea that if he had come at it, so if he wasn't an editor, say there wasn't a rule that an editor couldn't write and he had come at it, I am C.B. Sobolski and I'm writing these Japanese-centric comics under the name C.B. Sobolski, but I have a lot of experience in this culture. Would that have been the deal breaker that it is now? I, I think when you set yourself up to be in a position to speak definitively or authoritatively from a cultural perspective... It's dicey, especially when you're not of that culture, no matter how much you feel you're immersed in it, right? But I think the thing that's sort of telling, and I think the thing that's most flagrant about this whole situation is that if, if, if anyone thought that this was cool, then why the lie? Like, why the subterfuge? Yeah, that's why they did it. It's because everyone felt it was okay for CB to do this, but they knew it wasn't okay, so they fucking all hit it. Like, this is where I feel like it's indicative of a bigger problem because, and Brad, you, you, you tell me how you feel about this, Brad, but I feel like comics, despite the big two being owned by major conglomerate corporations, I still feel like comics kind of skirts being an amateur business and being a real business, especially when it comes to hiring practices and protocol. And I think they get away with a lot of well, shit. Yeah, that's, that's the big problem. That when I, when I look at this, when I look at this, the problem is, is that they didn't even think it was important enough to uh, come up with a real solution for. And what I mean is this, the whole idea of coming up with the uh, Akira Yoshida uh, moniker uh, it, it is a sitcom solution to a real world problem, right? I mean, this is, this is the way people solve their problems in a sitcom. 
<laughs> you know, and when when they when they address this situation with a uh, with a sitcom solution, it lets you know that they don't take it very seriously. And and I'm sorry, I'm just I'm picturing an episode of Friends where Joey pretends to be a Japanese guy. I was doing Three's Company, but yeah, <laughs> Three's Company. <laughs> well, really, I, I mean, I mean, to, to the point where now they've got people like Mike Martz, who is saying, "Oh yeah, I, I, I had lunch with him, and he showed me his Godzilla collection, and just insulting stuff like that." Yeah, I, I, I think the thing that really bothers me about it is that it feels, it, well, it's it's multi. There's multiple layers to this for me personally because, like, you know, as someone who's put a lot of time in editorial, like, it feels like a it's double dipping and it's an incredible kind of conflict of interesty thing, but it definitely feels like it's condescending to the reader. Like the reader is too dumb to get it so that we can slot in my bro to write this thing under a fake alias. And plus it doesn't help the perception that comics is a boys club. Mm-hmm. Because again, like there's this weird yeah. like hookup thing, you know, where like well, not just a boys club, a white a white boys club. A bro club. Sorry, yes, a bro a bro club specifically. Yeah. Um and so Charlie, do you Charlie, do you have a hard time breaking? Do you feel like you had a harder time breaking into comics because you're Asian? Um, no, but I also have a different path than most people. Like, I'm not trying to work in Marvel or DC. Like, I very specifically work at Oni Press, which I feel like on a lot of levels is my first and last job in comics because it's a very unique opportunity. Um, but it's, you know, the comics industry is full of signifiers of why I would never be able to survive or make it through to work in Marvel or DC. Like I just would never be hired at places like that for multiple reasons, you know? Yeah. And, and this is like a perfect illustration of why not, because you bet your ass. If I was part of that editorial team, I would have been like, no fucking way. Like you can't do this. <laughs> but there's like no, but it's, I think it's indicative culturally of how little diversity there is on the gatekeeper side in comics that there's not enough people there to say no or to bring up that like it's wildly problematic and a bad idea. You know, I think on the gate on the gatekeeper side in any media, yes. I mean, that's definitely a huge issue right now. And we've talked about it in past episodes that, you know, if you're going to go any kind of traditional media route, there's going to be gatekeepers involved and those gatekeepers actively or unconsciously are going to choose things similar to their perspective. So you're going to get wildly disproportionate, you know, male to female ratios and uh, minority to majority ratios. And the reason being is because the people in the gatekeeping positions all happen to be samey and whether they mean to or not, they're just going to choose similar stuff. That's the key to actually changing it is when you talk about representation in art, if all you're talking about is what's forward facing, then nothing's going to change. So when you talk about the representation of art and you look at a movie like Black Panther mm-hmm. that's coming up and we all go, God, can you imagine being a, a black kid and seeing the trailer for that movie and how amazing that is? But nothing's going to change until the representation affects uh, not what's not forward facing. So when you think about, well, representation in movies, you think about actors, but what you should be thinking about are the people that run the studios and directors and crew. That representation is important too. That diversity behind the scenes is probably more important if you want a cultural change. And when you think about representation in comics and you start thinking about, well, if, if you stop at characters and you don't move to artists and then staff, when it comes to representation, then you're not really changing anything. And the thing that bugs me about the CB deal is that I I can't, and you guys can tell me if I'm crazy on this, but I'm not buying this benevolent lover (laughs) of all things Japan. I'm seeing that weird (laughs) fucking friend of yours that is obsessed with anime I, I, I love this drama because to me, this is like the perfect comics drama because it lets me make fun of weeaboos. <laughs> yes. And it's like, because then I'm, I may be completely off base. And right now, uh, CB might be hammering nails into a bat. 
and looking up what <laughs> con I'm going to be at. I mean, like, look, look, you know, as as a as as a former editor, like, you know, the the mirror side of it to me is that like, how do I look at this more sympathetically? Right? It's like there's an editorial team at Marvel that needs to hire, that needs to get books out very quickly. They're looking at slush pile stuff, you know, and like, here's an editor who really wants to write. They're trying to do a specific thing involving, say, like, I don't know. Electra and some shit involving the hand or whatever, and they need to hire someone yesterday. So it's like there is a series of decisions that are a matter of convenience where no one is stopping to check how problematic this whole situation is, and then it just is horribly bad, you know? I wanna yeah. I wanna get off this <clears throat> CB thing a little bit. I want to get off the CB train. I feel like we've tapped it a little, but I wanna I wanna take a step back from you know, we're at a very, you know. 500 foot level right now, just looking at this one thing. And I want to look at diversity in new media from a, from like a 50,000 foot level from a greater whole. But before we get there Chu, I wanted to ask you, do you, do you feel like with regard to it changing on the, on the back end of this stuff and the people behind the scenes in comics that it's getting better? Because I think we're all in agreement. And, and again, Chu, tell us if we're idiots that, to see any real change on the front end of this stuff, we need some major changes on the back end of this stuff in production and editorial and publishing and marketing. And we need those people to have, to have varied background. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, look, you're already seeing it happen in comics. I mean, people are talking about how, you know, the comics market is dying, but simultaneously the book market is exploding. And I think you're seeing that because you're, there's a whole generation of readers that are coming in through like web comics or just female readership in general, reading, you know, middle reader to YA graphic novels who are sort of evolving into what are ostensibly mainstream readers. And so, you know, like even right now at Oni editorial is entirely female staffers and like, you know, you're starting to see that other companies like Lionforge has like Steens working in marketing. And I don't know, it's it's if it, it's a slower movement than you would think. But at the same time, if you step back and look at only like the last three years, it's actually incredibly fast. Um, it's just not necessarily happening in the mainstream sort of comic store comics market where a lot of the communication happens on social media or the focus on social media is in that marketplace. So like you know, it all depends on what spaces you're paying attention to where you're actually seeing that change actually come into effect. Wow, that's, that's interesting to think that. I wonder what the kind of ripple effect is, like how long it takes for something on the back end like that to affect something on the front end. Because even just from like a, you know, from when we work together from a production standpoint, like if you got somebody into editorial who had a different cultural perspective and they immediately wanted to bring on some, you know, some titles relevant to them, I think it could be, two years before those things saw the light of day. I mean, easily it could, it depends again, like, you know, uh, we, we recently hired a new, uh, associate editor at Oni, uh, Desiree, who's, you know, essentially taken over a lot of my projects. So there's stuff that she's been working on. That's already either been in progress, but at the same time, it's, you know, there are always projects flowing around in every publisher that are sort of straight up acquisitions where someone finished a book or it was a web comic that just needs to go in a, as a print edition. So yeah. that timeline of like raw, you know, boots on the ground, sort of raw development from pitch to finish. Yeah, that could be like two years, but, you know, not every project moves at the same speed. And so sometimes, you know, having a different voice can affect what those projects can be, even when they're in progress. Like to give you an example, it's like, I don't know, there are projects that I've been part of that where, you, you know, coming at it with fresh eyes, it's like, oh, this project has all white characters not because they were specified to be Caucasian, but because they were not specified to be any race. So therefore the artist drew them a specific way as a default. And then like you start having as a default. And then like you start having the conversation and thumbnails, you're like, well, I don't like how not diverse this project is. And it's a sci-fi thing. So let's, let's think about it for real. You know, give it like a 32nd thing on the diversity side. You have a conversation with a writer you know, like, hey, do you mind if we change, you know, these characters to be like minorities and spell it out so that in art it actually shows that, but it doesn't actually affect your script. And, you know, and then everyone's like, no, it doesn't matter. At all. Let's do that. Um, and so that's where, you know, I think as gatekeepers, people can sort of affect change immediately. And I think you'll start seeing that play out. I don't know if you're going to see that at Marvel without like the Smolsky thing kind of played mm-hmm. out. <laughs> that, that doesn't seem yeah. to be an indicator where they seem that particularly enlightened as of this second. But who knows? 
Well, let's go. Let's go farther down that rabbit hole. There's a mad rush right now in a lot of media. There's this big push right now for like put the put the word diversity in your pitch. Mm-hmm. Diverse cast, diverse this, diverse that. So like, there's a clear need from publishers or filmmakers or producers or whatever. There's a clear need from the top to tap what they view as a new market. They're finally starting to look at statistics and go, oh, 40% of America Mm -hmm. is not white. What if we produce something for them? You know, Coco just came out. Perfect example. The studio was so freaked that this film about essentially Mexican heritage was not going to do well. So they slapped the 22 minute (laughs) all white cast frozen mini movie it's not even a short it's like it's not even like a pixar short no not like yeah. a three minute thing it they put this giant piece of shit before this great film because they were super worried that white people wouldn't go see the movie and you can argue with me that that's not true frozen's their biggest hit of all time of course they're going to put you know a short before this film blah 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 and i would agree no. with you if the short were three minutes long, like literally every other <laughs> Pixar yeah. short ever made, I would also agree with you if Disney didn't just announce that they're pulling the short from the film. Yeah, they're removing it. Oh, is that right? Yeah, because people were complaining. Because people were pissed because they went, look, I didn't come, one, I didn't come to see this. I just sat through 40 minutes of trailers. Yeah, and two, it's not necessary. Like, I'm going to see your movie anyway. It, it also doesn't help that that frozen short was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that doesn't, doesn't help at all. Um, so let's talk uh, white cartoonists putting non-white people in their work. That's what, I, yeah, that's what I wanted to get to. And not, and not just cartoonists, like any form of media, because there's a, sure. Lot, sure. There's a lot of discussion about it. I have very specific opinions about it and i'm sure chu will more than once in this conversation tell you to shut the fuck up so so, so let's opinions. go down this rabbit hole. i have so many opinions i know you do good give them to me all right you start right. charlie well, okay look i think diversity and representation in any pop culture medium is incredibly important right i think the thing that makes it very problematic and uncomfortable when you're a minority either consuming this uh, content or like as someone like me who's been a gatekeeper, right? Is that you don't want stuff that feels like diversity representation is the key thing that you're highlighting. Mm-hmm. So like I like to think of diversity in comics and anything else as something that should be somewhat casual. Like I don't ever want to read a comic that's about an Asian character where he they are incessantly talking about being Asian. Right. Right. Like Like, to give you an example, one of my formative experiences in, like, high school was, like, my freshman year. I had an English class where one of our class assignments was we had to read Amy Tan's Joy Luck Club. And I will – it's seared into my brain because, like, we had this reading assignment and I was like, all right. I read it like any other book. Didn't think anything of it other than this is a terrible book I have to read. And then I remember we had this class where my teacher brought me up to the front of the classroom and was like, Charlie, can you speak about your experiences as a Chinese-American? You know, and, and it was completely blind. Uh-huh. Right? I'm like, uh, first of all, I'm not Chinese. I'm Vietnamese. <laughs> yeah. Second of all, I was going to say, what? Not at all my experience whatsoever. Yeah, my experience is California, where I was born and raised. Yeah, like, I, no one in my family played Mahjong. You know what I mean? Like, that's not what we did. Like, you know, my, you know, the women in my family were not of this specific sort of thing. Anyway, so it's. It's this thing where, like, you know, when you talk about diversity in comics, movies, video games, it's like you don't want to have the minorities be like this weird exotic thing, right? And, like, the touchstone I always point people back to is the Fast and the Furious movies, which, you know, up through six was basically my favorite mainstream franchise. Um, Because Mm -hmm. the diversity in that entire franchise has evolved to a place where the diversity in it is casual. Like, no one is like, oh, I'm the Asian guy. No, I'm the black dude and blah, 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 blah. It's just, they're just Mm -hmm. friends. And, like, they hammer on this idea of family and people just being accepted for who they are, you know. Now, someone could argue that that's bad writing because you could 
if you can interchange the characters on every possible level. Mm. But that's but on a certain level, Corey, that's almost kind of the point is that right. as an Asian American, it is so rare to see someone who looks and talks like me appear anywhere. And because right. we're, I'm not disagreeing with you, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate yeah, sure, here, sure, but sure. I know I've heard that I've heard that argument more than once when someone says and I love the term casual diversity, by the way. I, I'm I'm glad you coined that. I'm assuming you coined it. If not, I'm saying Charlie Chu has officially coined the term I, I, casual I diversity. It's, it's just it's just that thing where like a lot of writers who are not particularly thoughtful are not good at representing the world around them in their writing. And so, you know, again, I think this gets into the idea of sometimes Caucasian writers from a very specific viewpoint forget that putting minorities in their projects, they don't need to spotlight the fact that they're minorities. It's that they're no different than like, you know, your neighbor who might be like Thai happens to, you know, go to the the same shitty bar that you do. And he's just a dude in the bar. And I think what is easily forgotten is that just because you're in a minority in America, does it mean that you're different than any other American? You know, and I think Ooh. that's a, Ooh, that's a hot take. <laughs> you're going to catch some flag for that shit. Well, but, but I mean, the idea is that like, if you're a minority, it's kind of like within the world of Western fiction, they should just be like anyone else. The fact that they are, they are seen physically as being Korean or like Hispanic or whatever, you know, by casting in that way, they will bring that sort of energy to whatever narrative is there just by the fact that they sort of exist. Like my, you know, one of my favorite sitcoms on TV right now is the good place. And they've done a really good job at diversity because they haven't made it a big deal about like how diverse that cast is. They're just mm-hmm. people. And I, th- I was actually, yeah. I was going to bring, I was going to bring up good place because it's true. I haven't seen it yet. I need oh, to watch it. It's great. on TV right now. I mean, uh, it's amazing. It's very, very good. No, I mean, it's from a, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say from a designing point of view, when you're creating a new comic and Brad, you can speak to this too, but when you're designing a cast, a couple of things you want to do to make the cast interesting is have some differences between the way that they look physically. And one of the tricks is you design your cast and then black Mm -hmm. them all out and make them silhouettes. And if you can still tell who's who from their silhouettes and you've done a good job designing, if you go back to the beginning of cartooning to like Mutt and Jeff, one was short and fat, one was tall and thin, you know. When you're designing a cast, if you have one character be black and one character be Asian and one character be a woman and one character be white, it looks good. It's a good it's good design. My fear always was someone's going to come to me later and say, you know, you have a character named Darius in Table Titans and you just write him like a white dude. Who are you to... Mm-hmm. Put a black character in there and then just write him as a white so, well, dude. Well, well, let me ask this question. Have you actually gotten a criticism before? No, in fact, no, we have the opposite I, happen. I get the opposite. I've <laughs> had, I have had more than once someone come up to me and say, I picked up this comic because of that character. Cause like, cause, and, cause, and I'm like, who? And they're like, this guy, thanks for making, thanks for showing that mm-hmm. black guys play D and D. I think I think something to consider is that you have to remember when if the fear of of someone saying, oh, you wrote this character, this minority character like a white guy, that sounds like a negative. But you have to understand, like as a minority, if someone describes a minority character like that to me, I'm like, oh, white guys in fiction always get to be three dimensional. So, so like, you know, if you wrote a minority character to be three dimensional, that's great. (laughs) That's awesome. What I think is super <laughs> funny about Darius uh, as a character in Table Titans is, you know, he he was there at the beginning and there was always this conceit that he was going to kind of become a member and that whole thing. Yeah. As a series, Table Titans is planned out way far in advance from where it actually is at any time on the web. But I think it's funny that you say that now, Scott, because I remember during creation, there was no thought about that. I don't, no, I don't remember really a specific because, fear from you or, or anybody else. No, about. we worried more about Darby than we, we, than Darius. Yeah, we were very concerned about Darby for a long time, <laughs> which is funny. And now, and it's not until because Darby, Darby's kind of got softer features and, um, longer hair. And a lot of people were like, there was this fan theory going around that Darby was a girl 
because mm-hmm. the name Darby could be either. And they're like, we're gonna they're gonna reveal that Darby's a girl or that Darby's trans. And we were like, do we need to do that? Is that something we should never do? thought and about like, it? And we didn't want to we didn't want to do it because we didn't want to be serving. Like we didn't want to do it because fans were like, we didn't want to pander. And I'm like, that's not who Darby is in my right. mind. That's not who I wrote. But we did have the conversation. This is a great opportunity to put a to put a trans character in a comic without it being a big deal. That's the bigger issue there that that none of it that we're all kind of circling around and nobody wants to say so I'll be the asshole. The 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 scary thing not scary. There's a risk and reward involved when you're Well, I think you can say it's scary. I think it's scary for a especially in this climate. It's scary for a white person to try to even, create even, a diverse I'm gonna go, cast. I'm going to go even further I think what, than I think that, what Charlie's saying is like, it shouldn't be scary. You should just create a, a non-white character and treat them like going, every other going, character. Yeah, I, going further. Second, what are you saying? Because ahead, and, Brent, and I know Scott is going to know exactly what I'm talking about because uh, it's even worse if you're doing humor, right? Because now we're taking certain uh, concepts and certain ideas and pushing them and stretching them and exaggerating them. If I write a joke and it comes from a white person's mouth, I've got a cushion there, right? If I'm writing something humorous that comes out of uh, a person of color's mouth and I get it wrong, it isn't the case that I've written a joke that fell flat. I'm now a dirty racist. So there's a real high wire act. And part of that is, is make sure that I'm sensitive to that. I uh, get some other opinions and make sure that I'm not, you know, inadvertently showing my ass. Uh, but I think that overall fear of being an inadvertent racist <laughs> scares a lot of creators away from diversity. Am I, am I wrong? <laughs> I, I, but like to me, I, I feel like what you're really talking about is a combination of being afraid of getting diversity wrong. But I think honestly, it's just an easy cover for masking the real fear, which is the fear of being a hack writer. <laughs> I mean, at well, the end of the day, it's listen, just, everybody knows oh, yeah. I'm a hack writer. <laughs> No, he's no, right. no, but like, but like, like, let, let's, let's peel the layers of this onion back. I mean, like the fear of diversity and right and getting that note wrong for whatever reason, it's, it's literally just a cover to be lazy with writing. I mean, like to me, I don't know, you should be scared of whether or not you're being racist mm-hmm. in your writing, but I think it's also like, you're probably feeling that fear because you should and society is currently telling you that like like systemically in the culture there's a lot of racism backing up the way people write fiction and so i think in 2017 and this fear is something that's worth leaning into like like that's like like you almost want to lean into that fear so it makes you more considerate with how you're writing these sort of characters but i think that's a challenge that's fruitful because like at the end of the day you know Baking in diversity that feels lived in and real makes for better writing mm-hmm. overall. You, you know, how do we do that? Go ahead. Oh, no, what, what were you going to say? Well, I was going to say, and, and this is going to call back to something I started in on earlier. Uh, it's my personal opinion, and I know a lot of creators would disagree with me on this. I don't have a problem when a when a creator writes someone culturally uh, who is not them in any role that is not the main protagonist. I feel like we're still not at a place where a white dude can write a black dude as their protagonist and get away with it. Unless we're talking about some kind of speculative fiction or science fiction or something like that when it's when it's just irrelevant. But if you're writing any kind of fiction that takes place in this universe, I feel like there's way too much baggage with any culture where you can get away with writing that character, no matter how much you understand it, no matter how much you've researched it or you've given your work to what? sensitivity readers that you can, there, there are people you can give your book to that are called sensitivity readers. So their job is to read yeah, a book yeah, and go. What you're saying is you're saying is that if I wanted to make a comic yeah. about, uh, let's say I wanted to make a new comic about a guy living in 2017 who moved to a new city and is trying to get, uh, his life started as a, uh, actor. In New York City. He's going to try to be in theater. Okay. I want to do a comic about sure. that. I can't make the lead character a black guy if I'm white. 
I say no. No, honestly, I say no. I do. Oh, and here's why. why? And, this, and remember, I'm someone who understands the universe you just described. Because of my background, I have a... Yeah, because I can't speak to... I'm not going to be able to speak to the fact that he's not going to get cast because he's black. Because he's and black. I'm going to have to address that or not address it. So then... If you ugh, if you don't... Ugh, and here's where the... And, and see, you see what I'm saying now. So if you don't address it, you're potentially being culturally insensitive. If you do address it, it's faux. No matter how much research you do, you can't understand it. Yeah, but like, well, I'm, I'm let, waiting. Let me, let, me, let me back this up for a second, though. I mean, no, I know, I know Charlie's just waiting. He's just giving me enough rope to hang myself here. I know. I, I, I no such thing. Look, I, I think, I think the issue that you guys are running into is less about any actual backlash you will actually receive. <laughs> That I think this is an internal fear that you're self imposing yeah, and self imposing like a self censorship thing. When like, but the fear is because of, obviously the fear is because of the backlash. What like the Akira Yoshida thing? Sure, but like, but like no. at the end of the day, to, because for, he's well, right. Yeah, well, Charlie's most, right. It's, Go ahead, Charlie. Continue, continue, Charlie. Continue. I'm there, not there yet. No, I don't, there, I don't there, get it yet. There's you have to understand. I think what what you guys are all feeling right now, you know, culturally within comics, and by, by you guys I mean like everyone mm-hmm. who's white is that there's a certain level of like, and forgive me for being minority racist here, there's a certain level of white writer entitlement where for the entirety of Western civilization, they've been in the privilege of being able to write from any perspective, from any level, with zero... No consequence. Right? And right, Mm -hmm. right now, you're getting some pushback in people feeling like, well, you guys are getting it wrong, or you guys aren't being sensitive enough, or there isn't enough other voices in media to be able to pull this off now because you know a white writer is the dominant version of creative right now especially in comics it's like there's all this thought going towards like well can i do this this or this it's like well maybe the problem here is that there's not enough people who are on this of the fence who are being hired to write diverse characters and so it's the solution isn't about a generation of white writers trying to write everybody than it is that maybe that's <laughs> what I was afraid this was going to go to. Maybe there's jobs that need to go to other people and that maybe we need to be growing the market to support all that stuff. But again, see, but see, I knew this was going <laughs> to what? What did you know was going to happen? <laughs> no, no, that's not the I'm not. That's not the problem. I knew this podcast was going to end up there. Where? Where did we end up? To where we? Uh, <laughs> he's right. Charlie's right. Well, so where did we end That's up? He's right about what? We ended up where? Like, uh, hey Scott, who the fuck are you to worry about this? No one That's gives a, a shit but, about. Like, here's the thing. That's whether your comics are diverse white guy go make your comics we got a bigger fish to I don't fry. think that's what he's saying because yeah, I, I think, think I think more. diverse I think diversity is important it's and and white writers should write diversity I question whether or not a white writer should write a non-white character I'll use your a, example as a, again as about a main protagonist is what you're getting as a main protagonist I'll use your example again Scott about a black guy moving to New York to be an actor as someone who my past life was in that scene, right? I know mm-hmm. the trials and tribulations of auditioning for big time shows, Broadway, that kind of shit. So like in my head, I can go, I kn- I'll know exactly how this character feels. And if I make him black, then it makes the, it, it adds an extra layer. It makes the work more diverse. And of course I understand how he feels being rejected for this role, except I don't because no matter how much research I do, no matter how many people I talk to, no matter how much I delve into it and, and dig into it, I don't think I'm ever going to get there. However, if I, yeah. if I have a character who's a supporting character, who is also an actor, who's friends with my main character, who's not black, they can then have that conversation in the book. The main protagonist who is not a minority can come at it from a perspective that I, as the writer, can fully understand. I know the yeah. argument against this is, but if we do that, nobody's ever exploring ideas and blah, blah, blah. And you know what I say to that? Go nuts with speculative fiction, man. Like you want to build a universe where <laughs> blue people and orange people are having. Corey, did you literally just suggest that minorities in fiction is speculative? <laughs> <laughs> no, I said, 
I did not. <laughs> I'm saying if you if you want to, as a writer, if your argument against me, because this is what I always get, and there's one artist in particular, and he's listening to this gritting his teeth right now, that we get in this argument because his point of view, and he ain't wrong, is it's fiction. I'm a writer. I should write whatever I damn well please. And to a greater level, this is how we explore these topics. This is how we, you know, build on these topics. This is how we do this stuff. I should be able to write whoever, right? Yeah. I don't disagree, but now is not the time. That's I think. And if I you want to, I think that's wrong because I think that's already like imposing. That's that's giving too easy of an excuse to not write diverse characters. Now I get the fear of writing a protagonist because you don't want to get it note wrong and come off insensitive. To me, that's just like yeah. if you're going to go there, go all the way. Make sure it's not insensitive. Like you just have to think about it. I think I think that's, that we'll very quickly get to the place that you already feel very comfortable in, which is like anybody can write anything. Um, I still think well, you that have to be good at if you, it. That's if the key. You, you do, you do have to be good at it. But I also think if you back off it, then you're you're opening opportunities for people that could be could be writing it better than you. Yeah, that have I, I, that I think, to have that at world. I think I think it's just like if you're a gatekeeper, you want to be chasing after what the next zeitgeist is. And I think like I think there is something to be said about doing stuff that's diversity driven. I mean, like again, that Fast and the Furious, like the the, the, the fifth and sixth Fast and the Furious movies were huge hits and they were all entirely because they hit the zeitgeist of trying to do a mainstream action franchise with a diverse crew. Well, I think that there's definitely a diversity zeitgeist right now because every publisher in their planet is asking there. This is what's frustrating to me is they're asking for diverse works, but they're not asking for diverse creators. Well, they're, they're not, they're not going all the way. Correct. Yeah. And that's, and, and what they're doing is they're tapping known talent and to their credit, they're doing this because they know they can get it done. Like you're not going to go after a, a brand new writer who you don't know who the fuck they are. You don't know what they're capable of only because they're not white, but on the same token, because the pool is mostly white, it's very hard to get somebody to write to write a diverse fiction who is from a diverse background yeah. because there's nobody there, but you also don't want to take the risk. So the publishers being their primary goal being to make money are going shit. Okay. Well, let's go to the pool, mostly white dudes, and say this this guy could this guy could do it. He's a he's a great writer. He could write literally anything. Let's put him in in the role writing this diverse fiction because we can get away with it. Yeah, I don't know. I it's it's complicated. I mean, that's the thing. It's like at the end of the day, yeah, it's, it's complicated and requires more work. Look, it's it's uh so Michael Conley, who's one of my favorite authors and he writes all the Bosch and Lincoln lawyer novels. Sure. He just introduced a new character in a new book this year called the late show. And it's about a woman on the LAPD. Uh, Renee, Bauer. I was going to bring this up next because if you, if you, <laughs> this is where my argument breaks down and I'm fully aware of this <laughs> continue. Well, he's a white male. He used to be a, a homicide beat writer for the LA newspaper. So he's done a lot of research on, you know, and he talks about how, Police departments are male dominated mm -hmm. and women face, face a lot of pushback mm -hmm. and obstacles and you want to create characters and fictions that face obstacles. So he wanted to write that. Yeah. So he did. Well, and, and, you know, I hear, I, I hear that from a lot of white writers. The other thing I hear from white writers, especially white writers who, who write uh, really amazing female characters is always the, well, I just write them like a man, like the trick to writing this great female character is to write him like I'd write literally any other character. Uh, the James Cameron Gambit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you see where I'm coming at from this, right? And I'm, you know, my opinion on this is not definitive and I know it'll change over time. And I know someone will fucking dig up this podcast. They'll do the digging and they'll throw it in my face. And it's like, well, fuck you. I'm human. I get to change. Charlie's right. Charlie's got our number. <laughs> Hit me with it, Charlie. No, I think if I, you're gonna, so you're saying if you're gonna write a minority no, character, all, just it's all about us worrying about coming off yeah. as hats. No, that's not what I'm, I'm worried about because I'm not because I'm not, because I'm not a writer. Right. I'm coming at it from a different perspective. You just said you're worried about someone digging up this podcast. You're. It's all. <laughs> God, Charlie, you got it. No, us. I'm saying. It's not a gotcha situation. Quit <laughs> saying that. <laughs> all right. First, first of all. Don't don't reward Charlie Chu for anything because he'll rub your I face mean, in it indefinitely. And and secondly, it's not a gotcha situation. I'm saying that people are going to dig on this because my opinions are adaptive and they change. I'll give you a good example. 
when I was growing up, I grew up in uh, Tucson, Arizona, very you know, a couple hundred miles from the Mexican border. So, and I grew up in a like kind of a lower class socioeconomic neighborhood. So my friends were all white and Mexican. That was that was just it. And until college, um, I had pretty warped perspectives about racism because all of my friends were of the same socioeconomic class, but a variety of cultures. And it wasn't until I went to college in Northern Arizona, uh, near a Native American reservation at a university where you had all types of people that I started to go like, oh shit, everyone is not treated equally based on socioeconomics. I literally believed racism was a socioeconomic problem until Mm -hmm. my late teens, early twenties. I certainly don't believe that now, but if Twitter existed back then, I'm sure I would have said some stupid shit and somebody, and, and if I change my opinion, somebody would go and find it and bring it up. That's what I mean yeah. by digging. No, I, look, because I might change no, you're, my, you're, you're, my opinion on this. What you're touching on is like the intersection of commerce versus creative. I mean, like. That's, that's my concern because I'm not coming at it from a perspective as a writer. I'm coming at it from, from the yeah, other yeah. So, side. So, Keep so going, like, Think of it this way, okay? Do you agree that like the white voice as from a writing perspective is sort of like limiting? Because if you have like an all white cast, it's kind of limiting because that's not the world around us. It's not what the real mainstream is, right? Absolutely. So people yeah. making the argument of wanting more diversity in projects is from this like fundamental need of trying to capture as many eyeballs and how much, as much money as possible. And like, again, at the end of the day, what you're really running up against is that like, this is good writing versus bad writing. This is like good creative versus bad creative. It's like, if you're doing stuff where your diversity is real fucking bad, it's indicative of how bad the rest of everything is going to be. Like your writing is not going to be solid because like, again, how can you create characters that are three-dimensional? How can you create, you know, plot and exposition in a way that feels compelling if it isn't driven by the texture and grit of the world, you know, as we know it around us, like, like humans, right? Like it is very human to have like a, a diversity of experiences and people and I think like if you're writing any kind of fiction, it doesn't matter what genre it is. If it's not reflecting the world around you, that's just bad, hacky writing. Now, like, you know, I get the trepidation of trying to be all like, well, you know, I might get it wrong if I write like a minority character as like, you know, my protagonist. It's like, well, that's but that's not really the issue at large. The issue at large is are you telling a story? Is it appropriate to have this character? And if you're going to have this character be Hispanic, even though you're white, like as long as it's speaks to being true and resonates as being true, you'll be fine. But the fear is yeah. that you'll write this character be Hispanic and get it completely wrong. And then everyone will call you up for being racist and shitty. But it's like, if you actually go yeah. all the way, write that thing and it is lazy, unresearched, and you didn't speak to a minority about it. then Yeah. You deserve to get called up for being racist and shitty, but that's the tightrope you walk on creative yep. Yep. to be able to try and make things that are not yep. only great, but sell to a large audience. I like Charlie Chu now. I like Charlie Chu now. I'm in. I'm totally in. I'm in with Charlie Chu now. But, but again, it's it to me. It's it's that thing where all of this is one giant pile. It's like creative is creative is creative. It's like you can worry about sales. You can worry about like change this thing to make it more diverse. It's like well, every writer has instincts of you know what bullshit is, and that sounds like a bullshit thing. That's a bullshit note that requires a bit more nuance to how that. And, and but, it, but it's a bullshit thing that I'm hearing a lot of well, right yeah, now. But you, you hear like there's a flavor of the month in everywhere. You know what I mean? Like, sure. like, you know, people say like the Western is dead until it's not. People say like, you know, I don't know, don't do this thing until someone does it and it's great. It's just, you know, I think if you're coming at it from like yeah. just pure creative, it's like you have to have confidence and trust in your own abilities to sort out the sort of the trendiness of diversity versus doing it because it's right. Like, again, one of my favorite things in any media is like the TV show, the wire. Right. And that's like, you know, created by like two white guys who were, you know, beat reporters for the Baltimore sun. But like those guys, by having a lot of lived in experience and a lot of direct interactivity within this community and within, you know, the black community in Baltimore specifically, like are able to execute that show because it comes from a place of being real and emotionally truthful you know what i mean and it's like and i think that there's i think i think that's different too because you can't just can't just make mm-hmm. a tv show on their own it's way more it is, collaborative it is than that. 
Yeah. I mean, that's the, we're, we're, we're as a cartoonist, it, it, that's another problem with being a cartoonist is it's all from it's a you. Sing, you yeah. Or you, even if there's a, a team, singular voice, yeah, yeah. even if there's a team, it's still very difficult. I, and you know, if you distill it down to a single entity or even an entity, like even like a novel writer and an editor, right. You're and maybe some, you know, CPs or whatever, but you're talking about, uh, what if, you know, what if James Patterson wrote fences? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. What if, what if a guy who's one of the top American writers in terms of sales and pumping out books and whatever wrote one of the definitive African-American experiences in theater. And it was, then the play was identical. He just nailed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, I don't think that would why? happen. But tell me why that wouldn't happen. Now we're getting there. Because <laughs> Patterson's context creatively is, Patterson yeah, is not a thing that he clearly yeah, would, he have, would not have lived that. Patterson's an amazing researcher. He always works with other writers. He has, he has form and format to what he does and his books structurally are some of the best. And, and, but right now somewhere <laughs> Patterson is going, Hey, whoa, 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 no, whoa, whoa, whoa. Right now somewhere Patterson and a bunch of creators who are now mad at me because I said, maybe don't write the thing that you're not <laughs> are, are getting very angry. Well, you can't, but, but, but Corey, <laughs> no, you can't I, scat out creative in that way. You can't like, look no, at you can't. You yeah, absolutely so. can't. And I, and I'm, and I'm being completely hyperbolic. You know, obviously this argument doesn't hold a lot of weight, no, but this podcast be boring if we didn't argue. Yeah, so yeah, no, but I mean like, uh, you know, as a counterpoint, it's kind of like, you know, Richard Price is a white guy and he's done quite a few novel, crime novels, you know, that are very black as it were. And, and sure. I mean, Greg, Greg Rucka's a dude and he, he wrote one of my favorite female British spy agents. Yeah. So, so again, it's that thing where it's just a tightrope act like anything else. It's this thing that separates great writing versus bad. If you're a great writer of fiction, you can write that fiction to be believable. And I think at the end of the day, that's kind of what you're touching up upon is that like, you know, if you're worried about writing minority characters that don't have as loud of a voice within the current culture and the current fiction, you know, it, it's the fear of just getting it wrong and the fear of just not having it ring true. And I think on a certain level, I don't think you can be a good writer or a good creative without having life experience in that way. Like you have to meet people to write in different voices uh, and have some life experience to make you write in a way that feels truthful. And I, I don't know, it's this is where you get into the touchy feely sure. side of sort of story yeah, development and, and like and writing, you know. Sure. Well, I mean, back, back again, using me as an analog, like because I grew up in Southern Arizona and because, you know, a lot of my world experience had American Mexican cultural heritage in it. I, but I still don't feel like I would be comfortable writing a Mexo-American centric story. And, and more to the point, I think it would be a bad idea for you, for me to do that. Yeah. Right. I guess that's my problem is I can't wrap my, my mind around a person of my life experience. And this is where it all comes down to experiences, right? Like I don't see how someone similar to me in my life experiences could ever feel comfortable writing a, a I mean, like I, I couldn't write fences. But no one's asking, <laughs> you, a perfect example. One's asking you to or, or anything or yeah. really anything August Wilson ever wrote. <laughs> You know yeah, what I mean? Like, like, you have to understand, like, I think, I think the thing that's, that you're feeling no, is this yeah. weird sense of like cultural entitlement in that, like, you should feel like you're able to do that when like, you don't have to. Yeah. I, um, who's the gentleman that is writing black Panther right uh, now? Coates. Someone asked him, uh, there was a, I don't know. I saw it in Facebook, but someone at one of his talks asked him, um, what to do when her friends, sing the n-word because it's they're singing along with rap songs where the words in it and she keeps telling them her friends that's not okay and her friends are like it's in the song i'm just singing along with the song and he made a good point that not to anyone's fault but white people are born being told they get everything meaning it's there's no, no one tells a white person, well, you don't, you're not allowed to have that. It's just assumed you can have whatever you want, you know, if you go for it. There's nothing that's restricted access to, to them or to us. And that, um, 
there are things that he just wouldn't do because it just wouldn't be appropriate. For example, he said his wife gets together with a bunch of friends and they get together and they like to call each other bitch a lot. He would never, ever call anyone in that group a bitch. And he said that he has a friend who has this cabin that he calls his white trash cabin. And his friend calls it that all the time, but he would never call it. Hey, let's go to your white trash cabin. He would just never do that just because it wouldn't be appropriate. And that it's, it's good practice uh, for white people to decide it wouldn't be appropriate for me to say that word. That's not a word I get to say uh, and see what it feels like to be, to, to have something that you're not allowed to do, that you don't have access to, that it would be, it would be good for, for <laughs> white people to marinate in that. Yeah, essentially. It's like, why are you like, worried? No, this, this is a good, yeah, why, why worry about a thing? This is a good practice. Why worry about whether you can do a thing that you kind of don't right. really want to do. <laughs> That's what. That's another thing he said. He said, "Nor do I have any desire to. I don't have any desire to be in there and calling these women bitches with them." I think. I think that's where that argument gets tricky. Is you want to sing along to that song? It's cool, right? I mean, uh, okay. no, but I'm and I'm not saying that you don't stop yourself because you do, obviously. But that's you know, and and to tie it. But, you know, if if OK, so if that's the argument for seeing a song, how does that argument not hold up for writing a book? Because these things are loaded. These things are loaded by history and yeah. awful. Feelings. It. Yes. It. And I think, again, for me, it, it's important that we're having this dialogue. And I think it's important that we're having this dialogue on an ongoing basis. This is not a thing to be solved. This is a thing that is sort of like. You know, again, the cardinal sin of this country is slavery and, and and racism. And I think these are things that are for white people to solve, not minorities to solve. But, and I don't know, it's it's and you're touching about things in the culture where it's an ongoing dialogue. Yeah. Well, thank God we have this conversation and we figured it out. Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> What to take away from this is if you're a photographer, stop <laughs> taking pictures of No, that. stop it. See, now this oh. is where everyone's going to take my opinion and fucking twist it all out of shape. This is my favorite part of the show. I think <laughs> if you want to look, uh, my favorite work is science fiction. I love reading science fiction. And part of why I love it is because it can be metaphorical mm -hmm. and allegorical to literally anything. If you want to write a book about you know, uh, an enslaved culture fighting against an oppressive force in, in a country on the brink of civil war. You can do that in speculative fiction a lot easier than you could do it writing a, a fictional history of the United States of America. Kind of like how the guys that were working on Game of Thrones right now are going to come up with a new show about what if the Confederacy I think won. It got squelched. Is that seriously what they're doing? Uh, do you not hear no, about I that? Didn't. I think it got scrapped. <laughs> and, and tell me why it got scrapped. Because it's a terrible idea. <laughs> well, Man in the High Tower is about the Nazis winning. <laughs> okay. Charlie, hey, thanks for coming on the show. No, I'm sorry. sorry. You got to do it I again. I'm sorry often. if I offended anyone's delicate sensitivities. <laughs> Corey. No, I don't think. No. I'm not offended. I don't. I, I'm sure people will be offended at me after this. No, don't worry. I'm about not. It. That's. No, I don't. I don't give a shit. <laughs> That's my secret. <laughs> That's my secret, Captain. My, I never. Yeah, my secret it. is I don't. I don't. I'm not worried about it. Well, thanks for coming on, man, and and uh, being a sounding board for us white dudes to, <laughs> to throw racial <laughs> ideas at. Thank you. Thank you for having me on as your token. Anytime, yeah, man. Anytime, anytime you want to be the, the, one, <laughs> the one not white guy, let us know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Happily. Wrap us up here, Chew. Where did, tell us where we got to. Give us, give us a final wisdom. To walk away. <laughs> use your, use your deep ancient Chinese wisdom, oh, Chinese oh, knowledge gosh. of Confucianism, oh, no. and give us some kind of tasty tidbit. This, 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 the, basically, this conversation ended in the word diversity, dot, 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 question mark. <laughs>
I'm Corey Cassoni on behalf of myself and my co-hosts, Scott Kurtz and Brad Geiger. Thank you so much for joining us. Please consider becoming a patron. This show's made possible by listeners like you. So if you like what you heard, head on over to patreon.com forward slash surviving creativity and consider becoming a patron. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next week on another episode of Surviving Creativity. Surviving Creativity.